will you do without freedom? Will you fight? Welcome to Leverage Addicts, the podcast for investors looking to maximize returns through leverage. Join host, seasoned mortgage professional and real estate enthusiast, Blandon Lerm, as we explore property investing strategies and learn how to navigate the market to build new wealth. G'day, Andrew Malcolm here, Mortgage HQ, and I've got Ali from Wealth HQ, who's one of uh, my business partners and a good friend and experienced business owner. Today, we're going to be talking about how to improve cash flow. I've got the 13 Ds of how to improve cash flow, um, and it doesn't matter whether you're a business owner or you work for a business owner. You know, times have changed, and it's been a bit tougher in, in the business environment in New Zealand for the last year or two, and we don't know when it's going to ease. Uh, so you know, through our experiences managing cash and businesses, I want to share with um, how we think about cash flow. Why don't you tell everyone a little bit about uh, your background in business ownership quickly? Yeah, thank you. Andrew. So obviously, I've been in business for such a long time. I started my first business when I was 17. It was a video store, independent. Then I moved to a franchise and multi-store owner. And then I moved to Burger Fuel. And I've done that for a few years. It was actually between uh, Burger Fuel and uh, Civic Video back in the day. I've done that for 15 years. And then uh, from there, I moved to financial services. My background is an accountant as well. I finished accounting, so I understand how cash flow works and financial works. And I've realized, even though I finished accounting, when I went into business, it's a totally different game. And, you know, just the good old say, cash is king is so true. The problem, not many people understand how cash flow works. Not many people understand where is the money and how much they're making as they make decision to spend this money. And now me work with people to improve their wealth and help them to buy a first home, investment property or so on, or have a better retirement. We realize there's a lot of people have left their jobs to start a small business, obviously for the freedom of choice, for being proud of what they do, but mainly thinking they're going to earn more money. And this is not the case. And what we see, there is a lot of implication, especially when you want to deal with bank and buy a property, when you started a new business and you have no idea how to manage your cash flow. So yeah, interesting, interesting uh, time. But like you said, with this down economy, cash is so important and you need to understand what's your bills for your next month and do you have enough cash? Uh, I'll give you a, a prime example of what's happening with cash flow at the moment. A lot of people start a new business and um, they buy a couple of vans for the new business. They just put that on a short-term date for five years, 19% interest rate. Then they come back and want to buy a first home and they say, we don't have debt. And I go, okay, what about the vans? Oh, no, this is business debt, business pays for it. And they don't understand when you run a small business with a very tight cash flow, the bank looks at you, you and your business is one. So it's basically you just committed yourself for a very high interest debt and straining your cash flow, which is, is going to lead to a big red no from the bank when you buy, want to buy your property. A simple example, a lot of people don't understand that. Yeah, when you start a new business, your tax obligations haven't hit in yet as well. And exactly. so after that first year, got tax obligations for the year that just gone and then a provisional tax. So it's as starting a business in New Zealand is relatively easy, the paperwork and getting into the swing of things, but understanding the details. And the point that I want to stress now before we dive like really deep into some of these details is even if you don't own a business, it's good to know these things. If you start a business later, or if you're going to support your boss and the owners of the business that you work for, because a lot of those people are not details people. 
they're extroverted people that find it quite hard to dive into these financial details. They have limiting beliefs around numbers sometimes. Uh, they might have other challenges or distractions. And the thing is, if the business that you work for is starting to suffer financially, it is going to impact you. So if you can see that things are not as rosy as they used to be or that there's a bit of anxiety or struggle in the business, just because you don't own it doesn't mean that you shouldn't help take action. And if you're going to support your, your boss in a way where you have a lot of strength and understanding in the financial side of things, you're going to get kept around. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Last thing you want is uh, the business is folding and you lost your job because you've just decided it's not my business. I don't care. Uh, obviously, no, you should care because it's your job and helping the business owner to improve cash flow will I'll help you to sustain your job. I'll give you a little anecdotal example. So for the last 10 or so years, uh, software developers, engineers, like you know, computer IT people have been in really hot demand because everything's been tech, tech, tech. But now what's starting to happen is some of these tech companies and development-based companies are realizing they don't need as big a IT team, right? So these people have thought my job is secure. There's a high demand. I've got a high salary. And now there's a lot of developers floating around the industry, unemployed, maybe redundant by big software companies, or they've decided to change jobs and haven't been able to find that new thing. If you can add development expertise with financial now to support your boss, now you've got an advantage over other people as well. So having an owner's mindset, even when you're not an owner, is very important. And the things, the three points I just wanted to make about it is a return on the investor capital is important for shareholders. Don't assume that it's not your responsibility. Understanding the financial side of the business that you work for is very important. And you should be concerned if the owners of that business are not willing to share some of the details about how the business is performing because that creates this big unknown for you. If you don't know if the business you work for is making money and they're very guarded about it, there might be because they're not, right? And it's better for you to look around for other opportunities before it's too late rather than get made redundant and for it to be surprised. So if you can add value to your team by learning finance and understanding that profit doesn't equal cash, you're going to level up in a big way. Before we dive into the 13 Ds, the financial Ds of improving cash flow, the point that I wanted to start with is that you should be regularly reviewing your receivables, your payables, your cash position, your balance sheet inventory, and you should be setting goal regularly for gross profit and net profit. And if you're not in a business that's using month, monthly reports and budgeting and you can't project out cash flows, it's a very dangerous position to be in. Even if you're a small business, if you're not budgeting, then you are at risk of running out of cash because you might get a tax or an insurance bill that you weren't expecting. You might have to replace something might be 20, 30 grand that you weren't expecting and you get into a position where you don't actually have the money to do it. Yeah, on that front, from me being a small business owner for years and years, I believe normally there are two different categories. Most of small businesses fall into two, those two different categories. One is just daily cash flow, just like the way I was running Burger Fuel, my store or my video store. You open the door and you've got a, a turnover daily. And the other one is, let's say if you're a tradie, a builder, carpenter, and you have some accounts and then you get paid every 20th of the month. They both present different type of challenges and they both really need an extreme focus on the cash flow. The first example of daily cash in the 
register. This causes a lot of confusion because money in and out, in and out of the bank account all the time. And then you lose track what is for today, what is for tomorrow, and what's money belong to yesterday. And between all of this, where is your profit? So some people goes to the bank account and they see certain amount and they go, whoa, we're doing so well. But this is bills from last month, plus there's tax obligation, plus there's maintenance, like you said, emergency funds. And they don't understand, like it becomes all muddled up and then that is quite risky. And I guarantee you, just like what I did back in the day, there's a huge portion of those business owners use that FPOS card to buy their own things in it. And it's like, oh, it's, it's all good, but it's not all good because it's basically you spending tomorrow's money. And then when there's a big tax or a big uh, equipment need to be replaced or even a bill because I bought so much bread or meat or video DVDs back in the day, and then you struggle to pay their bill because it's the money in and out and you thought you had enough money. So that's really scary. So you need to understand what's your cash flow. We use all our clients. It's what we call income allocation. So basically you need to allocate part of your income to capital growth, part of it is your operational and other part is to sit as emergencies. And then you need to look at your profit and how you pay yourself. Do you pay yourself on a regular basis and how you do that? Are you Do you meet all your tax obligations? And on the other side of it, when you receive money once or twice a month, this is really scary because some people don't pay you on time and you need to have an emergency plan, plan B. What about if this, uh, oh, well, Dave is going to pay me 20K for all last month work on the 20th and you need to pay Steve and Smith on the 21st. What about if Dave doesn't? What's going to do? So that becomes another challenge. Uh, you need to be really on top of cash and understand this allocation of money. Do I have enough of this? Do I have enough of that? So it's a big task. And a lot of people think it's quite simple and easy. It's not. I want to give some context of why I think that I can talk about these types of topics. I've got a chemicals business that is 35 years old. And in the last two years since we've been involved, it's gone from five million of revenue to 10 million of revenue, a bunch of new products and new staff members. So growth of that business is costing money and there's a lot of you know, thousands of transactions. So I'm seeing how cash in that quite big business is moving. And with financial side of our businesses, you know, well over 5 million of turnover in, in these combined businesses. So we're seeing, you know, I'm exposed to different kinds of businesses and different cash flow contexts. That's how I kind of came to understand that managing cash flow is super important. And last year when we doubled the chemicals business, the cash flow was actually hugely strained and we had prepaid some tax and we had not been paid by some people and that created this cash flow strain earlier in the year. And that's why I've been diving really deep into managing cash flow lately. And it's the same with Mortgage HQ. We had made some big investments. Our market had changed a little bit. So there was a huge emphasis in our mortgage business in the last six months of understanding and managing cash flow in a better way. So that's uh, why we're going to talk about the 13 financial D's of improving cash flow. And on to number one, my suggestion for managing cash flow in a more appropriate way is to start considering delaying your outgoing payment. I want to stress that I mean, don't not pay. But in New Zealand, traditionally, through certainly the last 30, 40 years, have had this history of always paying on time. And that businesses don't pay on time, they get a bad reputation, they get credit pulled and their business might get dropped from suppliers. And so paying the 20th of the following month is a very common way that you would get invoiced and especially in a business to business environment. But what's happening at the moment is a lot of people, a lot of businesses are not paying 
on the 20th. Now, they might be paying on the 21st, 22nd, 28th, maybe even paying the 3rd or the 7th of the following month. And so what you've got throughout every month is you've got a two to three week window that you're probably going to receive most of your payments that you, the money you're owed. And that is impacting your ability to pay your your bills. So in the New Zealand economy at the moment, there is some tougher times. Inflation has pushed the cost of things up. And generally speaking, most businesses are not good at passing those, those new costs onto their end client. And so you've got this delay period where businesses are not getting paid on time and they're not making money because of this shock inflation that wasn't expected and most business owners don't have the the tactical nows to get in front of those inflationary pressures because it is hard to pass on big price increases. Certainly in my chemicals business, one thing that we've had to accept is that we cannot pay all our bills on time. To change the definition of what on time is. Now it used to be and this is very recent for me, that on time meant 20th or before the 20th. And so I would be factoring in my mind that we would be paying most of our bills on the 19th, for example, before the 20th, because the 20th means it's due. But now what we've had to do is with understanding from our suppliers and with you know, key, key internal conversations is, is purposely delay paying some of our suppliers for one day or two days or three days or 10 days strategically so that we know that by the say 27th, which is seven days after the 20th, most of the money that we're owed will have been paid and we're able to cycle that money through. If you don't delay paying people, there's a very high chance in your business that you don't have any money. <laughs> You're constantly feeling cash flow pressure by delaying payments and using things like tax pooling and claiming back previously like overpaid tax if you've had down periods, having a strategic window, say two weeks after the 20th, where you're paying what you owe, technically late, it will be a lot easier on the business in terms of cash flow than it is to try pay on the 20th or before the 20th. And it's a very hard pill to swallow if you've got if you feel very proud of your reputation of always paying on time, but you have to understand it's better to take that hit to the business and the pride that you carry about paying on time and to have your business survive and thrive, to be here for the future and work with your suppliers and just say, hey, look, exactly. I, can, I can pay on the 22nd. That's what I was about to say. You yeah. have to communicate, right? Communication is the key here, guys, because I've done this myself and that was uh, seven or eight years ago and purely because of bad cash flow management. But you've got two responses. Either you put your head in the sand and go, oh, hopefully they're not going to notice. They will notice and they will get annoyed. Or you can go pick up the phone and say, hey, mate, I will pay you in four days. You will be surprised how easy this conversation and people appreciate that phone call because it's actually, it's not a big deal. Now they know, now they can plan and now you're all good and we all help each other. So don't be scared of picking up the phone and they will appreciate their phone call. Communicate that. But one more thing, if you're going to communicate a time, you need to honor it, stick to it because the problem is people goes like, oh, here we go. We're going to pay you next week and he will never do. And that's a bad reputation. That's when people suppliers start to drop you. But don't be afraid. Don't put your head in his head and hoping there's not they're not going to notice. They might not give you a call the first two or three times. By the fourth time, you receive a phone call. So communicate. That is a key. So that's the, the first D. The second one is rather than just delaying for a couple of days or a week or so and communicating with it, is to completely defer the payment. If you don't have enough cash in the business to pay everyone, rather than paying a little bit 
to some people, I think it's better to pick a few key suppliers that are non-essential and to say, hey, I can't afford to make this payment right now. I'm going to communicate with you every week or two weeks or my intention is to pay this next month, but I haven't been paid by some of my key clients, so I can't pay you this bill right now. You're working with a reasonable supplier that you've been consistent with for a long period. This communication and intention not to pay, well communicated, will be accepted and potentially they will even continue to keep granting you credit and allow you to pay two, three, four, five months later and understanding uh, where you are. Being a late payer is strategically a good solution for your business if that's what it takes to survive in this environment. And I'll be saying that if you are going to be paying late, I wouldn't be taking drawings as a business owner. I'd be taking PAYE salary or if I'm taking drawings, I'll be setting aside that tax because you really don't want that shock tax, which happens a lot to people. The third D is to to set up a deal. Now, if you owe, say, $10,000 to one of your key suppliers and you just can't see a way that you're going to be able to pay, it's much better for you to say, hey, can I pay you $1,000 for 10 months and get this $10,000 paid off in the next 10 months? I would say a lot of suppliers would be okay with that, considering they'll probably be dealing with other people that are not communicating with them or that are reneging. And so if you can admit that you're having a challenge in terms of that cash flow, and this, this goes for if you're working in a business too, say, hey, are we having cash flow problems? I can help you negotiate. I can be a go-between. So if if you're an operations person in a business and you see that your bosses just can't figure out this cash flow problem, well, potentially they're having to mortgage their property or sell their car or, you know, and they're feeling financial stress, is to say, hey, why don't we try and set up a, a deal arrangement with our supplier to pay them? over time. Number fourth D is discounts. We've been talking about paying your client, uh, your suppliers, but now we're talking about your You're clients. receiving right? money. So how do we improve our cash flow position is we get the money that we're owed sooner. And how do you get money sooner? You have to dangle an incentive. Hey, look, I speak from experience because I've done this a lot of times. And a lot of people don't understand is, uh, again, it's a, it's a wrong perception. Um, Dave needs to pay me 30 grand and I'm happy I've got this 30,000. But reality is this is a dead debt because Dave can't afford it. <laughs> I just feel like I feel good because I've got a 30,000, which is will never come strain on my cash flow and then I will be in a bad position. So if I turn around and say to Dave, a lot of people, they found it's quite hard to do. So, hey, Dave, give me 20K today and I'm going to write off that next 10. As actually, it's a good deal because if you think about it, Dave will never pay you 30 or he will pay you a thousand bucks for the next, every month for the next 30 months. That's not going to help you. Well, it's a net present value, right? Exactly. And 20 grand today is worth more than maybe getting 30 grand maybe. in six months, right? Yep, exactly. And if you think about it from a profit and loss perspective is the 30, which is dead, dead and it's dead, that's, that's not a profit. Yeah, it allows you to move on and to continue dealing with that, yeah. that person that owes you money or yeah. the business. And Yeah, but you can use it in another way. You can be uh, cheeky and smart and give a call when you're doing the deal. The, the, you know, remember the deal, the, the, fir the third D. Uh, while you're kind of um, arranging your deal, just say, hey, look, oh, how about I'll pay you the whole full amount next month, but give me a 50% discount. Don't be shy of saying this. If you don't ask, you don't get. Request a deal. Request a deal as well. Request a discount in the deal. So discounts for early payments might be 5, 10, 20, 30%, 40, 50%. You know, if you're dealing with someone, you know, there are businesses going into liquidation, there are businesses struggling, you know, 
if you've sold something for $100 and you think you're never going to get that money, it's better to get $30. And- hey, look, I can share. It's like a certain amount of money I was just chasing for over a year, over a year. And then finally sat down in one room with a person. And my deal was, if you do it right now, get your phone out and get it done. I'm happy with only 30%. You pay me 30%. So I gave 70% discount. And that did happen. I moved on. I got the 30% and I moved on. Otherwise, I wouldn't get anything. Or it will be dripping dripping. 500 bucks a month it's stress it's not worth it so yeah you just get it done sort of cash flow getting money now you've got to evaluate your business at the moment because if you're doing 20th of the month terms for your clients maybe it's time to set up a cash shop so start selling something on trade me for example where you're getting money today for products that you're selling you might sell them at a, a retail price instead of wholesale that you're selling to your clients now, one of the things about Burger Fuel, for example, is people come in, they order, they pay, right? You get the money now. Whereas a lot of businesses, um, if you're buying something- Just make sure you don't spend the money straight away though. Yeah, yeah. If you're buying something, if you're selling something, the best case scenario is you're going to get paid in 50 days, right? 30, 30 to 50 days, and it might be 90 days. So figuring out a business model where you can add that perceived discount to get your money now is, is very valuable. The fifty of improving cash flow is to strategically use debt. And, and borrowing in this period right now, you need to be understanding the risks if your business is going backwards and you're going to put more debt and more essentially money into the business that you're liable for to prop it up. That's fine, but you need a, a strong a strong business plan and a budget and projections and demonstration to whoever you're borrowing the money from, even if it's just working with your accountant or your advisor, showing, okay, I'm going to borrow 30, 40 grand as a business loan, probably going to be like 12 to 15%, maybe more. I am essentially personally guaranteeing it, whether it's secured or unsecured. It's like, you know, if it doesn't go well, it's going to impact your life significantly. I would be saying if you've got security in terms of vehicles or property to try and have separation of the assets so that if you borrow off your property, then you're lending that money to your business, create loan agreements rather than just cross-securing everything. There might be a cross-secure with the entity that's lending you the money in terms of you personally guaranteeing it, but to try assume the shareholdings are different. So even if you own a business and you own a property and the, the ownership is 100% both of them in your own name, you should assume that your business has an investor or a, a business like a shareholder so that pretend that you own 80% of your business and one of your key employees owns 20, owns 20% and you are the 100% owner of your property, you wouldn't cross secure. In, no. that, in that example, because the shareholdings are not equal. So even if the shareholdings are the same, try and anticipate that your business will have new shareholders in the future and that you've got some separations and loan agreements and that you're recording that loan liability in your business and you're accruing interest payments like on your financials, even if you're not making those payments. So that if you bring a new shareholder in the future, it's very clear that that money is owed from the business in the future when cash is available. So number six, deconstruct. Now, deconstructing what your business has in terms of assets and inventory and cash that is locked, I think is a it's an exercise that's not done often enough. So if you own vehicles, you own uh, assets in terms of, say, pallet racking or forecoists or trucks or desks and computers and things like that, that is cash that has been outlaid and it is it is has a cash value and if you want cash out of your business and you don't want to borrow the best thing might be to do to start selling things 
And if you still need it, that's fine. You can lease it. And then instead of becoming a locked cash amount, what it is is a variable monthly payment. And you might decide that instead of signing up for like a three to five year term, you accept that you'll pay a higher monthly variable payment, but it gives you the flexibility to change and walk away or or commit money. So give you an example. Uh, we've got a couple of trucks in my chemicals business. I'm probably going to sell the two trucks that neither one is perfect for our business. And I'll, I'll take the money from those two trucks and lease at one truck that is more um, appropriate for the business. That should free up a bit of cash, gives me a bit more of, say I'm carrying 200 grand of cash in my business account and then I'm able to net $30,000 of cash by selling these two trucks, then I've just increased my 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 punching power in my capital, uh, my business account by, by a significant amount. Um, and, and what I've done is accepted that I'm not in the business of truck ownership. I'm in the business of chemicals, uh, chemicals right? Ideally, I want to be using third parties that are specialists in that truck, the delivery environment. Hey, there is as well some benefit from a tax perspective if you lease a truck versus your own truck. That being said, I think point five and six, it's what's really important is to do a full cash flow projections, a full business plan, because just, you know, doing that uh, require to understand what's next because it's not about selling, leasing, and wasting the cash. And then what? So it's really stressed that is all plan, including the cash flow plan, is 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 vital here when you're doing those sort of, you know, those couple of days. Yeah, well, and the return on owning a couple of old trucks should be a lot less than the return on pre-buying hundred thousand liters of chemicals that I know I'm going to sell at a thirty percent. Uh, gross profit over the next couple of months. And every dollar that you've got committed and locked in a business, you're basically saying, this is the best use of that dollar. And if the best use of your dollar is owning these old assets, you know, <laughs> maybe you're not good at investing in new products and new markets. And you, know, you can actually use that money to hire a sales specialist that might bring you new business. Yeah. Well, one of the prime examples, um, Andrew, I see um, builders of Sparkies, which is they run using their van every day. And then when we do full cash flow analysis for the, you know, to, to build, show them how to build wealth, they all say they have a, a car sitting in the garage unused. And they go, oh, why you never, what's going on with this car? So, oh, it's my personal, hardly use it once a month. Something like that. Why it's sitting collecting dust Exactly. Just sell this car and use your van. You're already using your van for everything. So, and then until your cash flow improve and you're in a better place, then you can buy another car. So that's a prime example for those small businesses. Doing last year's numbers to help you formulate this year's budget and projections, uh, you should be able to get these breakdowns easier. Um, otherwise, if you're in, an, in a position where you are projecting forward based on a lot of unknowns, like you, you really got to have strong uh, spreadsheet uh, understanding on, on your cash flow projections to make sure you get this stuff right. So this this brings to point number seven is is to discontinue. Now, going through this process with Mortgage HQ in the last couple of months, we found that uh, we were spending a lot of money on marketing, on software products, and on personal expenses in the business that we, we couldn't believe just how uh, – 
technically lazy we had become because we were so busy growing the firm, expanding our our headcount and and reaching a new bigger audience that we lost focus away from saving money on unused software accounts, on marketing that wasn't returning at the high level that some of the other channels were doing. And we got to a point where we really had to reevaluate how many personal lunches and um, technically speaking, personal expenses that were being run through the business by the owners that really shouldn't be there. And you know, if you have, say, a coffee in the morning and you know, it's just on the way to work, it's it's probably not a business expense, right? It's your personal expense. And if you're going through a tougher cash flow period with your business, you certainly want to be really careful about how many personal expenses you're running through the business because that does negatively impact the, the business valuation and your borrowing power in yeah, many ways. 100%. And how, look, if you're listening to this and you go, come on, Andrew, it's only five bucks for a coffee. It's actually when we do a full cash flow analysis with our clients, they do add up and you'll be surprised how much that's accumulate in the month. So yeah, it's about changing habits. It's really important to discontinue. And having the, the mindset of your business is not your piggy bank to just take money out whenever you feel like. You should be assuming that your business is owned by multiple people and that every expense can be queried and challenged about whether it's actually adding value to the business or not. Otherwise, it should be counted as remuneration as a part of your drawings and you're paying tax on it eventually anyway. Um, I don't want to get in an argument about that. People will have strong opinions, but you should be evaluating things that you're paying for monthly, software accounts, marketing, um, I, like IT-related things, and I can I bet you you'll find uh, savings um, if you haven't done that exercise uh, recently. Yeah. And there might be contracts that are rolling over for things that you used to use all the time, but now you have a new one. Uh, and you, you realize, oh, man, maybe I actually could could cancel that. You know, 30, 40 bucks a month of cancellations across a few different things is going to make a big difference. So point number eight, um, the, the eighth D of improving cash flow is to use different people. And, and what I mean by that is if you're chasing people that owe you money and you're not having a result of them paying you, Sometimes it's easy to get discouraged or use excuses like, look, they're just not going to pay. It's not going to happen. We shouldn't, we, we should just accept that we're going to write this off later. And, and often what is happening is you're chasing the wrong people. You're chasing them in the wrong way and you're burning up valuable time as a salesperson or an operations person being a finance person and, and following up to get money is actually, it's a skill set. And it might be that what is required, and we certainly found this in, a, in my chemicals business, is bringing someone new into that role. It might be someone you already have or it might be someone that you hire to be accountable for following up on payments that haven't been made and to target different people in the organization that owe you money. Now, if you're a salesperson and you've sold to a salesperson and you're trying to chase money, you've got two salespeople communicating about something in the past that they don't care about. They care about the future sale. And it might be the case that you need your finance person to chase the finance people, and it's just about a checklist kind of thing. And I certainly have found that uh, we were able to collect you know, well over $100,000 in 
in late payments from big accounts that were it was simply a process of adding somebody experienced and they were focused on chasing going through proper channels and following up with different people and their money came in relatively quickly uh, i could tell you i can share some um a personal experience it's it's in a way it's similar back in the day good old days uh, the old people will remember that uh, the young folks probably they don't know what i'm talking about but video stores we used to have late payments <laughs> late payments yeah late payments. people just keep the dvd for extra three or four nights and they keep doing it and then suddenly like they have 200 bucks they need to pay a late payment i used so people will start avoiding me because I'm always asking. Um, so I see the 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 you know the the customer walks in and he goes to the to the first counter because I'm on the second counter. It's like ah. Oh. So what I did, um, I communicated that with my staff, which is, is great to get your staff involved. I say, hey, look, when you see Andrew again, um, say to Andrew first, look, I've used a lot of different. Get a deal with Andrew. Get him a discount. And guess what? If you can get Andrew to pay $70 from his 200 right off the rest of the money, and you can take 20 bucks out of it, encourage your staff. And what happens? Actually, that's everyone was so happy. It's like, are you serious? Are you serious, boss? Can I get take? It's like, yes, get it done today on the spot. 20 bucks is yours. So you can do the same thing. You can get someone to give you know, a, a fresh, a fresh person to give a call and give them some incentive. You so hey, you don't want big incentives for chasing late no, fees. No, no, but, but uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Because what you do is get people like, oh, <laughs> you got to pay your money. But give them incentive. And normally incentive is related to a timeline. So what do you do? So if you can get the money today and this much, I'll give you this much. And you will, you will be surprised. Um, you might, um, you find a whole new hidden talent in your business without you knowing. Yeah. So, if you're banging your head against a wall, chasing money that's not coming, you've got to recruit talent internally and externally and start focusing on other people. So uh, number nine, diversification. So this this is diversification of the way you, you bill, uh, your invoices, and the way that you make money. So one form of diversification might be that um, as a business owner, you might decide that you need to get a second job and that you start taking less money from this business so that you give it a longer life uh, line and then you let the business organically grow at the rate that it is suited for um, and you're putting less financial stress on the business while it works up. Diversification might be in providing terms uh, that ironically, it might be better to say to some of your, uh, your clients, I will give you 90-day terms um, if you pay, say, 10% more or 20% more. And a lot of your clients might be very happy to accept terms of paying more to have a longer time frame to pay because what that does is allows them to get your product, sell it, get the money in the door, and then pay Thank you. Yeah. And, and so um, in the initial setup phase, it might be that you borrow money to get you through that period. You offer 90 or even like 120-day terms for your, your clients. You get through that tougher cash flow period, and then on an annual basis, you're collecting 15, 20% more than you used to, and you're attracting clients because nobody else is competing with you on those those terms of engagement. Um, and so if, if you and all your competitors are offering the same price on the same terms, it's very hard to compete. So diversification, 
changing something, going to your clients and saying, hey, what do you want? They might say, I need longer to pay. You say, no problem. You know? Just a different price. It'll be a different price. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and this comes back to like your positioning. How do you position yourself in your industry if you're serving everyone in the same way that everyone else is serving them? It's very hard for you to create a profit. So it might be that you need to niche down a little bit and then you know, go read Blue Ocean uh, Strategy to, to get – and the 22 laws of, of um, marketing and positioning. Those are good uh, books. So number 10 is to, to divest. Now, if things are getting really serious and cash flow is becoming a problem, it might be that you need to figure out what parts of your business, product lines or departments or some certain structures that could actually come out of your business and for you to exchange that for cash or for... for. I can give you a really good example, Andrew, here. I see it every day when we work with our clients to build wealth and have a good retirement is we see small businesses, husband and wife working in the business and um, purely for just because they like that structure. And sometimes as the advice is to one of them to leave the business because the business is struggling and one person can do, um, and the other person goes to get a job and just basically that job for 50, 60, 80, 90 K, that's a, a cash injection to the household and the business. Because remember, when you have a, a small business, um, there's, you know, a reality is the household and the business is one when it comes to cash. Because if your business is cash poor, um, who's going to pay your wage? No one. And it's better for you to accept that you're not going to have enough money in six or 12 months' time for tax and for paying yourself as well and to take action early when you're in more of a position of strength than it is to wait until you get into a really bad spot. Yeah, <laughs> You can't yeah. do anything. And hey, it's better for your relationship too. Right, <laughs> uh, I'm not sure that uh, uh, my better half would tolerate working with me for oh, very long. Same, mate. No way. So, yeah, number ten is divesting out of um, non-important lines or, or from clients that are not serving you in the way that you want. Uh, might be that you're going to get one of your staff members to uh, go and set up another business and buy some clients off you, or buy some product lines off you, and they become a customer of yours that you supply, um, and your your um, you're reducing your risk in that way and it can exchange what you've got either for a loan to them or for, for cash up front preferably. And number 11 is to delegate, is to bring in help. Um, and, and if you're not a numbers person, uh, whether you're working for somebody or, or owning the business, there really is no substitute for somebody that has experience in the financial side of a business um, it might be that you just need to jump on um, like a freelancer's uh, freelancer.com or Fiverr or whatever, hire somebody that is a chartered accountant or has experience with spreadsheets to make you some budget uh, spreadsheets. It might be that um, you need to go to your accountant and ask them to do your bookkeeping and you're accepting that it's going to cost you 10 grand a year, but you know that it's going to be professionally done to a standard where you can say to that firm, I'm holding you accountable for this level of work and for the, the quality and the quantity of it. And so instead of hiring someone for say 70, 80 grand, you can outsource it as a variable cost to a firm that appreciates the work and that you can change suppliers um, but delegating it to somebody that is a specialist 
and helping improve cash flow is better than in most cases than trying to divert your attention away from things that make more money. Number 12 is to digitalize. And I think there's still a lot of businesses that are not using cloud accounting. They're not using HR and payroll software. They're they're not using digital inventory systems. And what this does is, okay, yes, using these platforms increases your monthly outgoings because you've got to pay for the software. And it is a bit of a time investment to set things up. But the clarity you get of understanding your numbers on a daily basis, like instantly, massively improves your ability to make intelligent decisions. And uh, the accuracy does improve because a lot of businesses can't make smart decisions they don't understand what's going on day to day. Not only this, it's it's a the cost of a mistake. Uh, it's quite high. So with payroll, one 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 mistake could cost you a lot of money. Same thing in HR. So by having the correct software, um, it's actually if you think about it, that will save you money in the well, long if, term. If you're not using digital software for payroll and accounting, um, I would be quite confident a lot of businesses are not accurately paying their staff. Tax is wrong because that's need to be updated. And I can't remember the exact place that I've read this, but I've seen that some business owners, uh, the law is changing that you can be liable for prison time if you underpay your staff or or even pay them incorrectly. And and Simple example, um, Kiwis have a payment. Holiday pay. Holiday pay. It's a nightmare, difficult thing to understand. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And because the rules are changing, if you're working with a professional kind of software platform that understands New Zealand law and is is designed for New Zealand payroll and and, and for accounting, uh, it's harder to make those mistakes. And the business becomes a lot more valuable when you're using these products and having um, everything updated. So number 13 is to have the discipline to dive into your numbers on a daily, weekly, monthly basis and to measure and track things instead of ignoring them. And I think that when businesses have challenges and cash flow, it's quite easy to be distracted by other things and and to just say, oh, we'll make more money, we'll make more money, or this is just a tough period, and, and to not allow themselves to to do the work. If you do the work to dive deeper into the numbers and to – share this burden with with your team members of understanding cash flow and how to improve it it's like a train is going to run out of track and you're going to crash later I see. um yeah and and that's why that's point 11 is important delegate because some people listening to this say go oh my god do i have to look at numbers every day i hate numbers so if you're not a number person get someone to look at and give you reports tell you hey boss we doing well we not good we good for the next month but we need something that is really important and if one thing i want to add to this 13 points from someone who owned a business most of his adult life is you shouldn't pick and choose. In order to really survive, you have to do all 13 of them. All 13 of them. Because businesses are moving like a living um, entity. It's just not not one thing can help you. You have to do all 13 of them. So, yeah. But I guess 
That's the beauty of owning a business. It's exciting. It's harder and it's harder. you often make less money. And <laughs> the, um, the perception is that you're, uh, that is easy, but it's, it's not. It's a lot harder. So it's, it's all depends on your personality. If you, if you found this, it's a, it's a mountain to climb and it's just too hard. Probably it's not for you, but if you found that that's an exciting challenge you want to conquer, that's probably you've got the personality for a business. Now, so there are some other points that I want to go through and talk about some case studies. So if you've been doing these things and uh, still you think more drastic action needs to be done, this is where on the HR side of things that you might look at restructuring your company or that you might understand that you're working in a business that in order to thrive and profit does need to be restructured. And it's a very common thing. You know, a business's, uh, their structure is like an organic flow often and through a strong economic period like we've had in the past, the way that the firm is structured is often not appropriate for when the times uh, change economically. So it might be that some people need to be shifted to part-time or capacity, um, that the business operates or headcount needs to be reduced. And it might be that challenging conversations need to be had. And if you're working for someone that is not strong in that area, um, then you can provide support. And if you own a business where you just don't even know where to begin uh, in terms of restructuring, then you need to spend the money on employment uh, lawyers and HR experts to help you get through that period and to create the business case that's required to, to get through. And there's a lot of free information about restructuring online, even provided by the government. Now, it might be that in terms of uh, talent in your company, it might be that hiring is the right thing to do for different skill sets and the only way to make room for that extra uh, hiring is to have less of the people that are currently there. Um, and it's, it's because businesses have a life and there's evolution, it should be expected that some structure changes will happen. Now, operationally, if you are in a period where you're not getting the discounts. When you're buying things, that's when you make money. And when you're selling, sometimes there's there's a restriction on how much you can mark up. So if you start tendering for suppliers or requesting uh, longer payment terms, it might help with cash flow. You might need to start trading with new suppliers because uh, you can't pay the existing suppliers. Uh, so it's like a bit of a, a, a game, um, which if you're playing it ethically is totally fine. Uh, I'll give you some examples from a chemicals business. Um, one way we're able to reduce w waste is strapping boxes together and couriering, uh, courier those boxes uh, within certain areas to put them on one ticket instead of two. There's a couple grand savings annually, but it adds up. Now, we bought a drum crusher machine and we started recycling the metal instead of uh, you know, letting somebody else take those drums away. We're recycling them ourselves and making some money doing that. Now, you might want to consider stop stop buying in bulk. Even though you get your bulk discounts, what you're doing is locking away your cash. So it might be that um, it's better to accept higher cost of, of goods uh, up that, and make it a variable kind of like pay-as-you-go than to hold all the inventory. you got an extra... Uh, cost of goods sold and in the storage and, and the locked up money. And you know, going back to 
that that deal side of things is is cultural incentives in your firm for cost savings and efficiency and productivity. It will make a big difference. Now, team lunches and finishing early, things like that. If you need to challenge your team on the productivity and accountability, bringing in new rewards that are non-monetary um, could could help. On the sales side of things, um, using incentives for new accounts and new products might be um, the way to go. Um, and, and dynamic pricing. You, know, you take the airline industry is famous for dynamic pricing. When you buy, a, buy a, a seat, you might pay 200 and the person next to you paid 100 because of you know, the time and the demand at the time that they bought. So maybe what you're selling can have more dynamic pricing than you realize. Uh, now, generally speaking, if you're having a tough period in cash flow, making more sales is going to help. Yeah. But you need to make sure that those sales are profitable because otherwise you're just delaying the problem. You might be getting more cash in the door, but if it's not profitable, then it's dangerous. Just on sales, I think if I can um, just add one thing in that is, and hopefully help people if as business owners, never feel comfortable. So what that means is don't ever say, yep, everything's good, sales is good. If you get into this attitude, you eventually, you will go down. Never feel comfortable and always be hungry. So what that means is, yes, be, be positive, sales is good, but I want more. And what can I do to get more sales? And I used to do this and actually just, I need to bring it back uh, to my daily habits. I call it the hour when I just like a, a power hour, when I just sit down, piece of paper, pen, no distraction, cup of coffee, try to find new channels and new ways to increase sales. It's really important. Little things like the sushi shop, for example, they charge for sauce. You know, I just did a quick calculation. They sell 25 sauce packets a day, 35 cents over 250 days a year. It's $2,200. And if they don't charge for the sauce, then their cost, it costs them, right? They're, they're paying basically. Let's say that they have like a three grand swing from having charge for the source. Less people take it for free and the people that do take it, they pay for it. It might be that that sushi shop is making say 40 grand a year and you just added this three grand. This is a meaningful part of uh, your net profit. Now in my chemicals business, we're constantly having little chats about whether we should charge for freight and for rework. And it's important to instill that culture inside your organization that if we do things for free for clients within reason, it's okay if you're a service-based business and that's already baked into the price. But if you're a commodities-based business and that extra stuff is not baked into the price because it's hyper-competitive, then you need to be considering, hey, should we be charging for these extra costs that we're incurring? And the last point I want to make is that as a, as a business owner, as a strategic basically investor that you are, whether you're working in the business or not, it might be time if you're having this cash flow sh uh, struggle to bring in a new partner with, with different energy and different skills and, and capital because it might be that your business uh, needs not only new skills and new energy, but a new partner can bring in more capital into the firm or bring new ideas that do create and unlock uh, cash flow. And the only way to get that talented person into your firm is to make them uh, a part owner. You might also consider that if you're operating in an environment where it's actually quite hard for your business to be at a level where 
it's generating good returns because of the size of the market or because of your restriction on, on how much money you've got. Might be time to merge your firm with a competitor uh, where you can share costs of marketing, share costs of sales, share lease costs. It might be time to sell your company before you get into a period where you know, it's not worth anything. It's actually you will pay someone to take it off your hands. You might be in a period where now you're seeing other people in your industry that are struggling and it's time for you to acquire their firm under terms where maybe you pay over time because you don't have the money to pay any money down. And so the industry networking is is really important so that you're putting on a brave face, you're hearing what's going on and around, um, around your industry because you might find that there's a lot of people struggling on the cash flow side of things and you shouldn't be embarrassed by it because it's very common at the moment that it's a struggle in the business side of things. So if you're struggling with cash flow, try some of these tactics. Hit us up on emails, uh, Ali at uh, whq.co.nz. I'm on Andrew at mhq.co.nz. Let us know what you're doing to improve cash flow. Absolutely. Thank you, Mel.